Discasters, how are you all doing this lovely day? I hope you're all having a wonderful week. Uh, so we've got quite a bit to talk about today. Um, yeah, so I'm just going to jump right into it. So to start off, uh, we're going to, of course, start with some Disney news here. Uh, and there's a couple, actually some pretty good headlines and, and news stuff that's come out the last couple uh, last couple weeks and has kind of like uh, built up and um, we've gotten more news from it. Uh, first off uh, is uh, Jessica Rabbit is officially... Uh, she's back on the on the Roger Rabbit ride in Disneyland. However, it, things are a little different. So I think I remember mentioning uh, a long time ago that uh, they were going to be switching things up with the Roger Rabbit ride in terms of Jessica Rabbit because, of course, like with times changing and everything, they want to do a little bit more. Uh, politically cor- correct isn't necessarily the right word because it you know that that phrasing is a little wonky nowadays. But it's more that they just wanted to do her justice, and I think they just they didn't want to do anything that was too uh, that put her into too much of a negative light. So what they did is she has officially been uh, promoted to be a full-on detective in the ride. There is actually a moment in the ride where you get to see her in a detective's out, like a very that very classic noir detective outfit. It's at a point in the ride. Uh, where she comes out, or where uh, she's supposed to have been tied up in the trunk of the car, uh, but, uh, like, what's it called? Oh, my God, my brain. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a little, it's early. Uh, but it's uh, it's a point in the ride where she was supposed to have been tied up in the trunk of a car, but now they have changed that. They've changed it so that she is now standing behind one of the weasels in the full outfit. And uh, even in the queue uh, where uh, her, where you pass by her door, like her her little um, green room door, uh, that's still there. Uh, and I think they have like a news server cl- clipping or something that shows that uh, she's had the promotion. And also there's a moment where there's a silhouette kind of crumbing across the window where you see her with the hat and with the coat kind of thing. So, yes, yeah, so that's really nice. It's nice that they're like trying to do something different with her and make it a little more modern, right? Because, of course, we stand Jessica Rabbit. Jessica Rabbit is a fucking icon. Uh, yeah. Uh, next bit of news here it has to do with the uh, with the Galactic Star Cruiser. So, uh, apparently what's happening nowadays is people are... So, I think it has to do with the fact that Disney has been releasing several videos that are kind of like they're trying to advertise for the star cruiser because of course reservations are open you know you can make reservations and things and um i think they start uh i think you can start making official reservations as early as march i believe that's when uh you can start uh booking things um because of course that's when it opens so disney has been punching pushing out a bunch of videos uh, to kind of advertise the stuff that you can do in the hotel and because it's a hotel right but I feel like it's a hotel but they're I think they're trying to treat it as like hotel immersive experience slash cruise kind of thing so there's they're trying to do things but the problem is is I think people are seeing these videos and they're seeing oh is that all I really get to do because like in the advertisements in terms of things that we are being shown, um, all they're really showing in it is the whole lightsaber experience where you can go in and like, uh, do lightsaber training, 
Uh, and you can go in and interact on the bridge of the ship. You know, you can put the ship into hyperspace. You can defend the ship from TIE fighters and things like that. Uh, they do have uh, bars for adults and stuff where they're going to have live performers. Funnily enough, I do recall talking about one of the videos where they re- that they released about a woman who, who had come out and was performing. And that video they took down. I'm not too sure why, but Disney themselves took it down, which is very interesting. So... Uh, the these promo videos really aren't showing a whole lot. I mean, the only reason that I know that we can do things like, or that they go and actually visit Batu uh, as part of the thing, because the idea is that you're on a cruise in space and you're trying and you are um, experiencing, you're retracing the original path that this starship ha- took, like hundreds of years ago, kind of thing, on its maiden voyage, and you go back to Batu. So the idea is that throughout the three-day experience, it's like a three-day experience. Uh, throughout the three-day experience, at one point you end up in Batu in Hollywood in, in Hollywood Studios in one of the main Disney parks, but you're only there for like six hours. So like you arrive, it's it, so it's as if you're on a so it's, it's as if you're on a cruise ship, and you dock for the day, and then you got to get back on the boat, kind of thing, right? So you only really experience Batu for like six hours, and then you get back, and then you go back up to the uh, go back to the hotel. Now, so there's that, but then there's also some things, there's supposed to be some immersive experiences throughout uh, throughout the thing uh, in that you are able throughout your stay, the entire, so the entire three-day experience, there's a whole overarching narrative in which you can choose to be part of the first order, you can choose to be part of the resistance, that kind of thing. And so uh, there's little things that you can do, little interactive and immersive things that you can do. Um, but none of that is shown really in the advertisements. And so I think people are seeing these ads and they're like, oh, so for like, you're telling me for like $1,200 for three days, this is all I'm getting kind of thing. Like, I feel like people aren't really feeling like they're getting their money's worth. And so they're canceling. So people are actually actively canceling their bookings to the hotel, which is, I mean, honestly, I'm not surprised. Uh, just cause like, again, seeing these ads and you can, they're all over YouTube. You can look them up. Uh, recently they did upload, uh, or they sent out a new video to people who had active bookings, um, of a, I don't know, it's like, it's like a welcome video type of thing. Um, and it's very reminiscent of Star Tours. It's kind of that vibe, but yeah, it's basically just like a welcome video. Like, thank you for choosing, uh, Galactic Cruises and stuff like that. So uh it's it's interesting it's kind of fun i guess but again it's i feel like they're just kind of trying at this point but regardless so there's that um yeah my opinion is i mean it's hard because we won't really know truly what it's like until we actually see people go and do it and report back and experience it because right now a lot of this is just hearsay Right. A lot of this is just what we're seeing kind of just as they're building the experiences. And here's the other thing. Apparently, according to some people who are actually working on the in the hotel on the experience, they are receiving budget cuts, which is actively affecting their immersion, the the immersive experience and some of the stuff that they're trying to do. Now, here's the thing. Here's here's my problem. Here you have within the last couple months, you have Disney. The Disney company, actually, I'm going to be even more specific. You have Bob Chapek, 
who is pushing out all of these things like the Disney, like the the Genie Plus thing, and raising prices of annual passes and maintaining these high these high prices for the hotel stays of Galactic Star Cruiser. You have them, and they're and they're fucking nickel and diming everyone. You have all of this money coming in, and yet you still decide to budget cut. Like, make it make sense. Make it make sense. It doesn't. And the the fact of the matter is, is that. All of the, all of this can be traced back to Chapek. Like he didn't want to go to the to the Disney D twenty three experience because he knew for a fact that he was going to get booed on stage. Like he was booked to go on, and he was booked to go and I, I think do like a keynote speech or something. But he was in Los Angeles. He's supposed to be in L A the day before, and then uh, do some things. And then I think he's supposed to like take a red eye to Orlando and then go do D twenty three. But here's the thing is that they, they his his publicist or whoever it was that was like reporting all this stuff is basically like, oh, no, he won't be able to make it because of scheduling problems. And it's like, no, no, we've seen other people do things similar to this. He can catch the fucking red eye to do this. We know why he's not going. It's because people are mad at him. People in the company are pissed at him. We as Disney fans are pissed at him. He knows for a fact that if he would have shown up at D23 in Orlando and if he would have walked across that stage, he he would have had his ass handed to him. Like, this shit's, like, it, it's bonkers. And so it doesn't make sense that they would be actively cutting the budget of this hotel experience. Even though they have all of this money coming in from other shit that they're doing. Like, it doesn't make sense. And so we know for a fact it's, be, it's just because Chapek just wants to just pull as much money as he can for selfish reasons and that's and that's what really hurts it hurts because it is hurting and affecting the integrity of these parks i love these parks disneyland is one of my happy places uh it's a place that every time i think about it i i get a warm feeling in my heart i i've been twice with my partner and both times were magical experiences with him and the fact that this is happening sucks because it's very clear that these people who are higher up do don't actually care they don't actually give a fuck all they care about is the bottom dollar and all they care about is milking us for every dime that we have solely for themselves it's pure greed walt disney was a capitalist that is not a secret, but he was still an artist. He gave a shit. He cared about what was going on in these parks. He cared about making sure that the, that the customer's experiences were as best as they could be. Did he care about money? Of course he did, because he understood that you needed the money in order to fund the park. That was like, th that's just, that just makes sense. You need the money in order to make the park function as best as it can. And the problem is, People nowadays, like, I, I guarantee you, if Walt were there and if he were seeing how this shit was being run, he would be fuming. He would be so mad because all of this goes completely against everything that he stood for, everything that he put behind these parks, everything that he wanted when he first started planning Disneyland. Like, it just... <sighs> I just get mad about it because it's like it's just such a it's just such an example of pure greedy capitalism and I hate it. 
Disneyland was supposed to be the place where you could go and be like, yeah, like I, re- I, I recognize that I'm, ex- I'm, I'm partaking in, you know, capitalism. And I recognize that all of this is, you know, it, it is what it like. It's not a secret. Like when I, when I've gone, I realize what I'm paying for is probably a little bit expensive, but then you go around and you see all these beautiful experiences. You see all the things that they're doing. You see the advancements that the Disney company and, and that the Imagineers are doing with technology and all this other stuff and all these amazing things that they're doing with the parks. And you're like, yeah, you know what? I'm okay with this. I'm okay because I see that the money that they're that I'm giving this company is going towards this, is going towards this amazing art and technology and all this really cool stuff. But to know the fact that they are cutting budgets to... <laughs> The Galactic Star Cruiser, which is supposed to be the next major, um, like, immersive experience of Disney. And they're like, you know what? No, we're just going to go ahead and cut some of the, cut some corners and things. Like, no, don't, no. It's, it's just, it, it doesn't make sense to me. It's, uh, it hurts. And that brings me to my next piece of Disney news, which is, of course, the Disney Genie. So, um, I'm going to link some, some videos that are explain Disney Genie. A lot better than I'm going to be able to because this kind of stuff, it, it like I can't go as in depth as I would like to because I got to get to the movie. But so I'm going to link some movies and stuff, link some movies, uh, link some YouTube videos and stuff so that we can or so uh, you can take a look at the more the 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 more specific details of how Disney Genie works. Um, but uh, Disney Genie has been available in Disney World, I believe, for the last couple weeks. Uh, and just recently this week uh, has officially been launched in Disneyland. Um, there are some minor differences between the two. Um, first off, in Disney World, it's $15 per day per person uh, for the Disney Genie Plus. Uh, uh, well, here, I'm jumping ahead. So first off, the so you have the Disney Genie, which is kind of like the base app. Uh, that is free. It's available to everyone. And some of the things that you can do on it are things like uh, you, it has like its own built-in itinerary. Uh, so you can select experiences or rides and stuff and be like, here, I want to ride these and I want to make a plan for my day kind of thing. Um, and yeah, and so they have basically everything that goes on the par- in the parks and you can figure out how you want to plan your day. So that's that's kind of okay, especially if you're somebody who likes to know what they're doing and likes to plan things and stuff like that. Now, that being said, um, I, I'm kind of that person but also not that person I th- I'm kind of that person when it comes to specific events so like if it's an actual show then I'm like okay the show's at this time let's do this let's go hang out in this section of the park so that we can be near it um but all in all I like to be a little pretty loosey-goosey uh like the times that my partner and I have been like the only things that we really had scheduled were like the dining experiences and like a few of the actual shows but everything else, we were like just wandering around, being like, "Hey, this the line in this ride looks pretty good. Let's hang out here and let's go on this ride, that kind of stuff," you know. So uh, yeah, so like when we went, because I had we had the Disneyland app, and on the Disneyland app, uh, they were you were able to do things, you know, before they decided to nickel and dime everyone. You were able to do things like um, uh, book your fast passes while you were in line and stuff like that. But now, of course, fast pass doesn't. Ex- well, fast pass technically still exists. It's just been renamed Lightning Lane, and I'm like. Meh. It just it's it. There's no there's no real difference. The only real difference is that you can't now, you now cannot actually book Lightning Lane passes, unless you pay for Disney for Genie Plus. So, that's supposed to be the thing that like, 
that's supposed to be the the upgrade i guess which is still stupid and i don't like it um yeah so the kind of the major thing is that you can uh plan your day and figure out your itinerary and stuff like that so uh yeah honestly well because like i like i said i don't necessarily mind that so like if you can do the free if you can do the free one then i would say just do the free one it's really like i don't know from what i'm from what i'm seeing uh it seems that the genie plus is really just an excuse just to have people pay more and just you wait it's about to get worse uh so let's say you did decide to pay for genie plus so in disney world it's 15 dollars per person per day in disneyland it's 20 dollars per person per day i don't know why it's more expensive in disneyland or no no yeah no i don't know why it's more expensive in disneyland than it is in disney world disney world is a bigger park but whatever the fact of the matter is, is that they're different prices. Uh, but once you have the app itself, uh, you are still able to do the whole itinerary thing that's still available. Uh, but now Lightning Lane is a thing. So basically, how like just like how they did in the in the old app, in the Disney app, you can uh, book your Lightning Lanes and stuff like that. Now, here's the other thing. Some of the more high-profile rides, like, for example, in Disney World, uh, like um, Mickey's Runaway Railway, uh, Rise of the Resistance, um, Expedition Everest, the Frozen Ride. Some of these rides, or no, not the Frozen Ride or Expedition Everest, sorry, um, but definitely Rise of the Resistance and Runaway Ra- and Disney and uh, Mickey's Runaway Railway have the option of which they don't necessarily have Lightning Lane, but you can pay to skip the line. So basically, if you don't feel like being in the standby line, here's an extra. Just pay an extra like ten. 10 bucks, I think. But, uh, it, the price ranges from ride to ride, but like on Disney, on Mickey's Running Railway, I think it's about t- an extra $10 ticket. And you can just skip the line. And that's it. Now, this is just another one of those, it's just another one of those things where it's like, cool. So you are once again just giving privilege to these people who can't afford it. Disney is expensive enough. It's expensive enough. Some of these families have to save up months, maybe years, just to go for one holiday, for one vacation. And now you want to nickel and dime them even further just so they can have the privilege of skiving the standby line? Like, your greed is showing just straight up. Once again, Bob Chapek is a, is a shitty person. He had... There was... A petition that went out for people to sign to have him fired. Like, let that sink in for a second. People made a petition. Actually, not even people. Old Disney employees. People who worked at Disney made a petition to have Bob Chapek fired. Like what the fuck how bad you have to be for that to be a thing like that's that that's that's bad like that's bad anyway bob chapek's a piece of shit uh, <laughs> oh boy you can tell i'm bitter um what else here uh oh yeah so um now here's another difference between the two uh genie plus things so in disney world uh, if you are not staying on a Disney property, or I, I think they call them um, um, 
something neighbors like basically or, or another hotel that isn't somehow linked to the disney park disney parks or whatever uh you are able to start uh your booking process at 9 a.m same day so like at 9 a.m you can open your app and be like okay we're gonna get lightning we'll get lightning lane for this right this right this right this right if you are staying on a disney property you are able to do that at 7 a.m so you get an extra two hours kind of thing uh in disneyland all that starts once you enter the park. So I, it doesn't matter whether you're staying on Disney property or not. The second you enter the park, uh, that's when you're able... Oh, excuse me. That's when you're able to do the thing. So that's another difference. The pay-to-ride thing uh, is also mildly different between the two parks because uh, I think it's just prices uh, uh, prices vary. Uh, now prices, I think, are just going to vary in general, depending on whether or not you're in you're in uh, like the heavy season or not. So d- just kind of keep an eye on that. Personally, am I going to pay it? Probably not. If I'm perfectly honest, I probably won't. Um, it's just because my the, generally the plan is just to attend Disney during slow season anyway. And so if you go during slow season, then I don't think you really have to worry about things like uh, the concern of Lightning Lane and that sort of thing. Um, and plus, like if you're especially if you're only if you're spending like a full day at a park, like if you're spending the full day at like Hollywood Studios kind of thing, you have the whole day to go for these rides. Right. So like. I feel like it's kind of OK to like, let's say the ride is like 45 minutes standby. And you've already done a couple, and you're like, you know what? We've had lunch. We've got time to kill, you know? Let's just hang out here in the line. And it's nice. It, the, it's nice and sunny. The ride has the, the ride queue has its, like, interactive thing, especially if you're doing, like, uh, Seven Doors Mine Train. Like, it's got the fun interactive queues and stuff like that, it, I, if they have those going again. So, yeah. I mean, honestly, probably not. Just because I don't feel like giving that, giving this money, giving my money, uh, giving more of my money than I need to probably just out of spite at this point (laughs) but yeah all in all I don't know I'm really annoyed by it to be perfectly honest I like I I miss the old days I miss when it was just so easy and it's like you knew the money you were giving was actually going to something like I may not have been to Avengers. I haven't been to Avengers Campus yet, but honestly, I'm still I'm pretty excited about it just because like it looks really great. It looks fun. That Spider-Man animatronic is still blowing my brain even now. <laughs> so like I have no problem with giving my money if I know where it's going and if I know it's going to like uh, advance things within the park and 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 make the experience better. Does that make sense? Because it feels like I'm investing. It feels like I'm investing in the experience as opposed to just being like, here, Bob Chapek, take my money. And it's like, no, I don't want to give my money to Bob Chapek. I'd much rather give my money to the Imagineers or the cast members at the park who are busting their asses every damn day to make sure that we're all happy. Like, I'd much rather give my money to them. I would much rather they see pay increases than Bob Chapek get more money. Like, fuck that guy. Anyway. Now I'm going to talk about the movie. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, I got to talk about something fun. And it just so happens that uh, this movie was actually very fun. Uh, so, of course, I am talking about The Sword in the Stone. So, The Sword in the Stone, uh, which was released in 1963, 
uh, is, of course, based on the Arthurian legend. Uh, it's, I don't want to say it's like exactly based on it just cause there's quite a few things in there that are very different. Like it's, it's different. And I think it depends on which version of the legend you're looking at. Cause like the, f- for example, in the, in this, so in this animated version, Arthur is, uh, an orphan. He's taken in by some random knight who lives in a ca- in like a rundown castle. I don't even know what his deal is. Um, but yeah, but he's training because he wants to be a squire and he wants to be a squire for, uh, his, I guess, adoptive older brother, Kay, uh, who's just kind of like a, he's just a, a dork. He's a doofus. He's not, he's not even a, he's not even a cute doofus. He's just a dick. Um, and yeah. And so the, so we open the film, uh, to some opening credits and an overture, uh, as you know, as is generally the case, uh, up until this point. And then from there we get a little bit of narration, uh, we get a narration of a prologue, uh, by a very, very wonderful singing voice. I was actually very, very happy. I was like, holy shit, this guy's really good. This guy's this is a very, very nice tenor. Sounds like some, maybe counter tenor or something like that. Any hoozles. But yeah, but basically he's singing the prologue, uh, basically telling us that, uh, in a time of peace and everything, uh, in England, uh, Uther, King Uther, unfortunately dies without an heir. And so now everyone's like, well, who the fuck's going to take up the throne kind of thing, right? And so, uh, as if by divine providence, uh, uh, kind of like in the middle of of like the street of London or whatever, just like um, a magical uh, stone with an anvil shows up and a sword appears. Uh, and the inscription on the sword basically reads like, whosoever pulleth this sword from this stone and anvil shall be the king of England kind of thing. So the idea is that if you pull this sword, you are d- then divinely... Uh, chosen to be the next king of England. Uh, now, this kind of more or less tracks just with the traditions of the English monarchy, is that, um, or especially like way back when, is the idea that if you were uh, a royal, you were basically chosen by God to lead the country kind of thing. It, it, it's, an, it's an ancient concept. Uh, and yeah, and so, so we're kind of left on that because uh, shortly afterwards, with no king and with nobody able to pull the sword from the anvil and everything, because, of course, nobody was worthy, um, England kind of falls into chaos. And there's kind of like inter, like, uh, I guess, like inter-clan fighting and stuff like that. And so king and so uh, England is kind of left without a king. So time passes and then we meet Merlin. Now, this version of Merlin is iconic. This, like, we, we've all seen this version of Merlin. He's dressed in his ridiculous blue robe, coat, underwear thing. I don't know. It's like a, uh, I don't know. It's like a, it's like a blue dress uh, with his super long pointy hat, and it's cute. And he's got his super, super long beard, and he's very weird and very sassy. Um, I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say he's strictly queer-coded, um, but... I'm also not saying he's not. And you know what? If you're going to queer code Merlin, I'm okay with that because, you know, it's Merlin. Merlin's, you know, one of the most infamous wizards in all of English literature, you know, so I'm okay with it. Uh, And yeah, and so Merlin is, we get this introduction to Merlin. He's very charming. He's like trying to pull water out out of a well. And he's just like complaining the entire time basically about like, like medieval like the fact that there's like no proper plumbing and no technology in this time period because of course he's uh, he's also uh, him being uh, a wizard he's seen the future and stuff like that apparently he's been there a couple times as he's mentioned as he mentions in the movie 
Um, but it's just very funny. Like the fact that he's just like trying to pull this this bucket out of the water and he's just like compl- bitching and complaining about about no proper plumbing. I just thought it was funny. It's very charming and it's very cute. Uh, and then from there, of course, he goes into uh, his uh, his little house that he has or his little hut in the forest. And he sets up tea, and you see in his you see in in his house, it's like very cool because he's got like a bunch of like little trinkets and things, and like he, he's clearly into uh, science and technology and stuff like that. Uh, but he's setting up tea and he's setting up a chair because he's like, I know somebody's going to be visiting, I don't know who it is, but I know that they're going to be important. Kind of leading into that whole thing where he's he you know he can see the future, but he can see a, a version of the future kind of thing, which gives it which gives them an out to basically be like. He knows that someone's coming, but of course we don't know it's Arthur. We don't know it's going to be the future king of England, and so it gives you the it gives us the ability as a viewer and I guess as a writer to be able to have that flexibility. So he does that, um, and we meet Archimedes, which is his pet owl, who's incredibly smart, who's fully capable of talking and everything. I don't know if he's supposed to be a magic owl or whatever, but he's fun and uh, yes. So. Well, we have that going on, and so Merlin's just kind of like figuring. He's like, "Hmm, I know he's coming. He's gonna be short and lanky, and blonde." Basically, kind of describing Arthur. And then we cut to a scene where Arthur is following his uh, foster brother uh, because they're hunting for deer in the forest, kind of thing. Uh, and so we do that. Uh, Arthur doesn't doesn't go very well. Uh, he kind of fucks it up, uh, and then he runs into the forest. Uh, Kay mocks him. Kay goes back to the castle, and then Arthur finds himself falling through the ceiling of of Merlin's uh, hut, which, of course, he knew, which, again, he foresaw happening, but, again, didn't know who. So that happens. So the two of them meet. Uh, it's all very, very adorable. It's a very, very cute thing. Um, throughout this, he's we know it's Arthur, but he's nicknamed Wart uh, because, of course, he's, he's meant to be, like, um, uh he's not respected i guess to a degree because uh, his foster father sir ector uh just doesn't respect him and you can kind of see that nobody really does they just kind of see him as like just a burden and somebody just to kind of toss around kind of thing which is you know just kind of really shitty uh and yeah and uh so arthur meets uh merlin merlin kind of like uh wows him with magic and stuff and he's like all right so i shall now be your tutor and teach you uh knowledge because uh merlin's merlin very very much values knowledge in this film this this particular depiction of merlin uh he he believes that with knowledge uh you can go anywhere now here's my thing with this whole with with merlin's whole viewpoint on knowledge over everything I see what he's saying. I do think that ha- that you know it's that it's that old cliche knowledge has power, which I firmly believe. It's important to be someone who knows things. It's important to get a, uh, an education and stuff like that. Now, do I think that needs to necessarily be you know you you sit there and you study books for hours and hours and hours and you become very book smart? Not necessarily, not unless you're actively trying to go into those fields. Like, if you're trying to get into STEM, then, yeah, obviously, science, technology, you know, and math, and forget what the E stands for, electronics? 
I forget. I actually forget. Anyway, but if you're trying to get into STEM, then yeah, you know, book learning is good. But there's also different types of knowledge. You know, you got to be street smart, quote unquote, you know, for lack of a better phrase. But you also got to know things. You got to know people, right? And so you got to know how people work and you got to just know the ways of the world kind of thing. And Arthur is living in a particular time where certain things are considered to be successes for example becoming us becoming a knight squire is an incredibly successful thing and is very valued and important in this time period and so that's kind of arthur's main goal is he wants to become a squire now personally i see that as quite ambitious i think that's actually a very good thing for him to try and amount to because again having that will then give you uh it'll give you uh maybe not necessarily class like like as in uh a position of power but it'll you'll be someone who's respected, and that's something that Arthur doesn't really have. He doesn't have other people's respect, and so it makes sense to me that that is what Arthur is trying to go for. And so that's why I think it's kind of shitty for Merlin just to be like to kind of like shit on him for what he wants to do. And the other thing is, who says he can't do both? Like, who says he that uh, that Arthur can't be physical? You know, if he wants to train in what everyone else is doing in that time period because I, I think it's because like Merlin is so far into the future and he's and and he's so obsessed with the concept of knowledge and the and that sort of thing he doesn't recognize that sure but you can also be physically uh successful as well like you can be a knight or you can you can know how to how to shoot arrows and how to swing swords and stuff like that and you can also be intelligent at the same time that's kind of my whole thing with with this version of Merlin like I, f- I feel like I feel like I would have like a very hard discussion with him about it and be like, look, Merlin, I get what you're trying to do. You need to calm the fuck down. Like, like your opinion is valid, but also kind of flawed. So like, relax, dude. <laughs> if, if like, yeah, that's just my whole thing about it. Anyway, moving on. Um, so a couple things about Arthur in this film. First off, Arthur is like one of the only people that doesn't have an accent in this movie, which is weird to me. Because, like, everyone else does. Even Archimedes, who doesn't exactly have a strict English accent, still has, like, some form of posh accent. Uh, Merlin's a little more worldly. He doesn't necessarily have a strict English accent either, but there's still something there. That You'll notice throughout the film that even though he's supposed to be, like, a 12-year-old, Arthur, 11 or 12, he doesn't necessarily sound like it. And part of that is because they had, like, three actors playing Arthur. Uh, the first, uh, it went from Ricky Sorensen into Richard Reitherman and then Robert Reitherman. Uh, and the, th- the issue was, was because, uh, I believe it was Ricky Sorensen entered puberty during the film's production. And so throughout the course of the film, his voice started cracking. And so, uh, the director Wolfgang Reitherman had to cast two of his son, his two sons, Richard and Robert, in order to replace him so that the voice was a little smoother in terms of transition. And so you'll notice that, like, at the beginning of the film or in, in certain parts, his voice sounds really high and then suddenly turns into, like, a low alto kind of thing. Like, you can hear the voice changes throughout the film. I just thought that was very funny. Uh, so, he, <laughs> yeah, he's supposed to be, like, 11 or 12, but he sounds like he's 16. It's quite funny. Uh, so uh, the animation style of this film, you'll notice immediately, is very reminiscent of uh, 101 Dalmatians. And, uh, but that's, again, that, that is, has to do with the same reason that they did it in the first place. It was just 
budget budgetary issues and so they were doing the same kind of xeroxy concept you're going to see this basically for the next several films again i don't hate it i actually really like it i think the way that the people move is incredibly fluid uh like i would almost call it probably like a precursor to like don bluth films because of course don bluth a was also a Disney animator, and B is very well known for having such beautifully moving characters, very unique. The second you see a Don Bluth movie, you know it's a Don Bluth movie because of how they move, how they look, and everything. He's very iconic. Uh, but I would almost call this series of films, like 101 Dalmatians, uh, this one, Jungle Book, uh, Aristocats, the ones that that harbor that style of animation, I would almost call them precursors to Don, Don, the Don Bluth's style. Because, again, they were very fluid and that sort of thing. So I really liked it. Um, yeah, it's just beautiful and unique. Um, now, so basically Merlin decides to take it upon himself to be uh, Arthur's tutor. And then he just basically packs up his entire room or house. It's like a one-room hut type thing. But, like, uses magic to pack it all into his suitcase. It's very funny because, like, Arthur's like wow, like, that was really awesome, like, and then, uh, <laughs> Merlin, Merlin makes a comment of being like, well, of course, like, how else do you think I was gonna get all of this into a single suitcase, <laughs> and of course, to us, you know, being non-magical people, it's like, well, it's just gonna be a hell of a moving process, I mean, like, I remember when I moved a couple months back, it was a bitch, but anyway, if, I, like, if I had a magical ability to basically shrink everything down to a single suitcase, like, I would 100% do that, too, um, yeah, and then, of course, he makes the comment about saying, like, you know, but, but be cautious. Don't let. Don't think that magic can solve all your problems, which of course is true. Uh, that's something that I think is just a universal lesson, just in terms of with anything having to do with mu uh, music. No, with magic. Anything having to do with magic, uh, basically, just don't depend on the magic because, of course, magic uh, can't always be the thing that solves your problems. And then from there, he goes to the castle. Uh, where he meets Hector and Kay. And of course, they're mildly concerned because he hasn't shown yet, but he, uh, Arthur hasn't returned to the castle yet because he went to the forest, and, you know, they're all doing their thing. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so basically when he arrives, Sir Hector kind of scolds him already. <laughs> He's just like, has three demerits for, you know, for making up a lie or whatever just because he told him that he found Merlin or whatever. Uh, and then Merlin shows up and just kind of just invites himself to stay. <laughs> he kind of scares them a little bit by by performing a little bit of magic to prove that he is actually a wizard. And so Sir Ector decides to leave him in, like, the tallest tower, which is, like, this rickety, breaking thing that, like, is just rude. Quite frankly, just rude to leave him in there. <laughs> now, here's my question. Is why didn't Merlin use magic to fix the roof like you have this magic like i get it magic isn't supposed to solve all your problems but if you're gonna fix a roof at least it's there as an option anyway that's a whole other thing um but he's basically like because like the next the very next day it's raining and of course there's holes in the ceiling and holes in the roof and stuff and so he's like using um he's like magically producing umbrellas just to like cover the holes and stuff and i'm like again why don't you just use magic to fix the damn roof Anyway, he's just very silly. Another thing in this movie is, uh, so while the film itself is actually quite fun, 
Um, the songs in this movie aren't exactly as iconic, I think, as some of the other songs in, uh, especially in within the Silver Age. Uh, the the songs are done by the Sherman Brothers, which you would think would mean that they are actually pretty iconic because of course the Sherman brothers uh, were kind of like Walt's in-house writers and composers for a good, for a a good long while. Uh, You'll know them better as being the songwriters for Mary Poppins. Oh my God, my brain. (laughs) Uh, List of the names of the songs are uh, there's the sword in the stone, which is uh, kind of like, that prologue bit uh, sung by Fred Darien. Again, beautiful voice. Higgitus, Fig- Higgitus Figitus, which is the song that Merlin sings in order to bring every- all, the- all of his belongings into the suitcase to shrink everything down so he moves. Uh, that's what makes the world go round is sung by Merlin and Arthur when they're fish. I'll get to that scene in a minute. A Most Befuddling Thing is sung by Merlin. That's a song he sings more, more or less just about love and attraction when, he- when they're squirrels. Again, I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Mad Madam Mim is a song sung by probably the movies. Uh, if you if there were to be an antagonist, I guess it would be Mim, maybe, because like this movie doesn't really have like a set antagonist. That's the thing, is like Mim is only in there for like us for like I don't know maybe ten minutes, um, when we first see her when Arthur becomes a bird to experience what it's like to be a bird, and. She basically, it's basically just a song about herself. And the thing is, is that, like, I don't know, like, she's, she's villainous in that, like, she uses dark magic and she's generally just kind of supposed to be an evil person. I think she's supposed to be a version of, like, Morgan Le Fay, who in Arthurian legend is meant to be, like, Merlin's ca- uh, evil counterpart. Um, but Mim uh, is just very silly. She's just very silly. She, of course, is trying to, like, kill and eat Arthur as a bird, but still. <laughs> and then she goes into, like, this duel against Merlin where they have to, like, transform into things. And uh, that was actually very fun. Uh, but she sings that song. Uh, Blue Oak Tree uh, is uh, a song. Uh, I think it's, like, the near the end of the film. Uh, and uh, the ending of the song is sung by Sir Ector and Sir Pellinore. Um, oh, wait, no. No, I think that's a drinking song. I think that's after... Oh, that's right, yeah. No, it's it's a drinking song that they drink after, or that they sing after Sir, after Kay is officially knighted uh, as a sir. Which is interesting, because I always thought that you had to be, be like... I always thought you had to get sirred by a royal. And if there's no king, how do you make knights? So maybe, I don't know, maybe like a lord can do it or something. I don't know. Maybe another knight. I don't know. But regardless, um, uh, yeah, so I think that's a, it's a song that they sing um, at the end of the film when uh, Kay has officially been knighted uh, before he goes to do, um, what's it called? Before he goes to do the tournament in London. Again, a bunch of that I'll get to in a, mo- in a moment. For now, though, we're going to get to... So Merlin, over the course of the film, tries to teach Arthur various lessons. I guess just it's 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 very difficult to really pinpoint exactly what these lessons are meant to be. I think in general, it's just supposed to be that, like, you got to learn to use your head as opposed to your muscles, which, again, 
isn't bad advice. But also, if you can use your head and and your muscles, like, I, isn't that also okay? I don't know. So the next day, uh, the, everybody receives a visit from Sir Pellinor, who is a friend of Sir Ector's. Uh, and he arrives with news that on New Year's Day, there will be a tournament in London uh, basically to announce the new King of England. Because at this point, I think they're just kind of done. They're like, look, we need, we need to figure out who is going to be the King of England kind of thing. Um, so he arrives uh, and announces this. And so Sir Ector is like, okay, if we can get you knighted by Christmas... Then you can then you can compete, and then who knows? Maybe you'll be king, and all this other stuff. And then they basically offer the squire position to Arthur, who, which again is something that Arthur has really, really wanted. So this is so that's uh, so that's you know, that's really really nice. Now, so now Arthur has a goal for himself. He wants to be a squire. That's kind of the biggest thing that he's been wanting to do. Uh. But Merlin still wants to have still wants to like tutor him basically. So now Merlin's first little lesson, he they're walking around the moat and then they turn into fish. And so they go into the moat and are basically just fish. And it's interesting because like I don't really necessarily know what the purpose of this lesson was, uh, except to just, you know, teach someone how to be a fish. <laughs> I didn't exactly get a whole lot of uh lesson from it again except to just how to be a fish um but they're going around and everything and then they find of course they come across like a barracuda who's like trying to eat them uh and then this is where merlin's basically teaching arthur to like use your head and stuff like that and um you know uh and eventually they they best this barracuda and then uh yeah, and so then the lesson's kind of over. And then from there, Arthur goes back to the kitchen, goes back to his duties. From there, the next big lesson is just teaching uh, Arthur how to be a squirrel. That's kind of like the next major uh, plot point, more or less. Again, while all of this is happening, at the same time, he's trying or he's training to, to be the squire because, of course, Kay is training for the tournament. And Merlin is just continuously just kind of seeing, he's like, yeah, 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 is like more muscle than brains and blah, blah, blah. Again, just kind of like thinking that you can't be both kind of thing. I I found that just to be, I'm, I'm quite bitter about that really, because like, I like to think that I'm somebody who's a bit of both. Like I, like I work out, I go to the gym like five, six days a week, but I try and still stay knowledgeable, you know, and artistic and stuff like that. Like you, you can have multiple levels to yourself. And I, that's the kind of the biggest thing that I just got bothered by with, uh, with Merlin is that he doesn't think that people can be that three-dimensional. It's either you're you're either bookish or you're or you're a stupid muscle head kind of thing, and I'm like, well, you can't you can be both. <laughs> I mean, who says, right? Anyway, and so he's watching him. He uh, Merlin is watching Arthur do all of this, and just kind of just tries to drive home the whole thing about just education and everything. So, uh, the two of them end out again doing another thing and um uh merlin tries to basically teach uh or he ends up teaching arthur a little bit about gravity whether or not that was the real purpose of this lesson i'm not sure but that's just kind of the thing they latched onto. so arthur is running around like a like a squirrel because they're squirrels 
uh, running and jumping. And then Merlin is like trying to teach him about like, you know, you got to be careful because of gravity. And Arthur's like, what's gravity? And he's like, you know, the force that pulls things down. So he's basically teaching about that. And then suddenly they come across like, like this, this female squirrel who gets really into Arthur. And then Merlin just kind of like talks about how, oh, it's like attraction, you know, that kind of thing. And, and then he makes the comment about saying is like that like squirrels mate for life, which I looked up and they actually don't. <laughs> so that's like, so I was like, okay, well, Merlin, but they don't anyway, but it's fine. Merlin can be wrong. Uh, he's flawed in certain ways. Um, but basically Arthur just spends like the next five minutes just running away from this lady squirrel who just really 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 likes him and just really 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 wants to fuck him and then merlin's you know this is where he sings a song uh the one song about attraction uh uh, the most befuddling thing and then you know he's just kind of like hanging out or whatever and then suddenly a lady squirrel comes to him and then he starts getting like okay no 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 like back off like i'm i'm not because neither of them are into them neither of them are into squirrels which is fair uh, and so eventually Merlin breaks the spell and then they become humans again. And then Arthur sees that the lady squirrel is really sad about it. He's like, oh, like I didn't realize it was that bad. And he's like, yeah, well, love does that. Love can be like the strongest force in the universe. And Arthur's like, more power, more like stronger than gravity? And Merlin's like, well, yeah, stronger than gravity. So it's actually quite... It's actually quite nice, really. Uh, anyway, so they go back to the castle. Uh, Ector accuses Merlin of using black magic on the dishes because they were cleaning themselves so that Arthur could go and, and do these lessons with Merlin. And then, uh, basically, Arthur just tries to defend Merlin. And he's like, look, like Merlin's actually a really, really good guy. He's like really nice. And then Ector just gets more pissed and everything. Like, fully fully pulls away his squireship uh and now arthur's really really sad about it and honestly i get it i mean him wanting to defend his friend and then like this asshole is just like no you're wrong you know so i'm gonna take away the one thing that like makes you happy just i don't know actors kind of actors actors is a dick Hector and Kay are both just assholes like it's just a real it, it really sucks how shitty they everybody treats him and I, re- and I genuinely feel bad for him. So uh, they get this other kid, Hobbs, whom we've never met. He's just some random guy that apparently just lived in the castle. We've never seen him before, never met him before. But now apparently he's going to be the squire. Anyway, so uh, Arthur's bummed. Merlin apologizes. And Arthur's like, no, no, I shouldn't have popped off like that. Because he just straight up like yelled at the guy. Or uh, Arthur like straight up yelled at Hector, which honestly it's fine with like i think it's fine anyway so but instead merlin's like you know what all right so now we're gonna what we're gonna do is we're gonna educate you full-time so uh he tries to teach him a lot of things kind of all at once he's telling him about the future he's telling him he teaches him about or demonstrates uh like a steam a steam power locomotive uh mentions that the earth is round and like all of this stuff is like honestly a lot at once you're basically like trying to completely shift this kid's full world and like letting him like even d- demonstrating the fact that the earth is round because he has a globe and he's showing him the globe and everything and arthur's like oh you mean the earth will be round someday and then merlin's like no 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 this is something that they'll discover in like hundreds of years and it's like hold on 
<laughs> I mean, like, like again, I'm not exactly giving. I'm not saying this movie needs to be a hundred percent accurate, but people have known that the Earth has been round for a long time. Like, the Greeks have known this for literally millennia. It's it's a fact that the Earth is round. This isn't a secret. This like people who don't have our technology figured it out for God's sake. They used they figured it out using telescopes and math like it's not like it was a complete see it, it may have been a surprise to um the medieval english but that's mainly because they were so entrenched in religion and of course the religious bodies just tried their heart their damnedest to basically prove that the earth was flat and that the earth was the center of the universe but then you you know of course you have scientists dating back again pre-medieval era basically proving that the earth is round so again just kind of another thing just being like mm, you know merlin you should probably double check your your uh your history there bud anyway and so eventually uh archimedes comes in and he's like look you're confusing the kid let's just start with the basics and so archimedes decides to take it upon himself to teach arthur and he starts with just simple good old-fashioned reading and writing which honestly is where he should have started in the first place, considering the fact that Arthur can't read or write. So he's teaching him how to write the letters. So Archimedes has like a chalkboard and he's got like the, the, the letters there or the alphabet. And so Arthur is just trying to like copy the alphabet in kind of weird cursive, which is like, like really you're going to just like start him there in cursive. Like you're not even going to start with just regular stick letters or anything. Anyway, so Archimedes does that. Uh, and then it's, it's really funny cause you can kind of tell that like Merlin is getting a little grumpy about the whole situation. Uh, and so wants to te show him something cool. And so he pulls, uh, a model biplane that he's got hanging, uh, which I can only assume, which is funny cause it almost, no, no, I was going to say it almost looks like. The old Da Vinci designs, but Da Vinci never made a plane. He designed a helicopter. This is an entirely different thing. Because, you know, Da Vinci was fucking crazy. In a good way. He was just he was just a genius, is what he was. Anyway, and so he just like shows him the biplane because he wants to show the flight and everything. But then of course that when he's like winding it up, it gets caught in his beard. Which again, if you're having an issue with your beard, just cut your damn beard off. Anyway. <laughs> a lot of Merlin complains about certain things. And then I'm like, what? you know that's not a hard thing to solve, right? <laughs> I just thought it was very funny. So he throw they throw the thing out the window, and the thing just basically just like, because it wasn't able to catch any air current, it just falls and just straight up nosedives into the moat. And Archimedes, being an owl, is dying laughing because he's like, He's like, yeah, like he, because he doesn't know the extent of what Merlin knows. He doesn't know the fact that humans will eventually be able to fly. And Merlin's like, of course they can. I have seen it. And, blah. and Archimedes is like, look, if they were made, if they were meant to fly, then they would have wings, but they don't. It's, it's just very, it's that old, that old adage, you know, if, if humans were meant to fly, they would have been born with wings. And of course, Arthur, you know, uh, confesses that he's dreamt of flying. And admittedly, like, I feel like yeah, we've all dreamt of that. I feel like flying is like one of the main things that like all humans have dreamt of i mean i know for a fact that i have i have a hundred percent dreamt of flying and it's like it's pretty cool but like not flying with like wings or anything like superhero flight 
that kind of thing where it's just like my body anyway but that's pretty cool and so then merlin transforms him into a sparrow and so he decides to and it's funny because merlin then tries to teach arthur about flight and about the mechanics of a bird's wing and everything and archimedes is like how about i teach him how to fly since i'm an owl and it was just it was a very prime example of one of those things where it's like well, quite frankly, it's it was a little mansplaining, really, because like there's Archimedes, an owl right there, who's basically being used as like a tool for demonstration by Merlin, who's like, so these are these are the prime feathers or whatever, and 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 Archimedes is like, dude, I'm right here. So it's just very funny, and it's like, um, it's very much an example of those situations where people will like try and explain certain things. But then you have the person who's actually an expert in it and whose experiences are, dem- are demonstrative of that thing you're trying to explain, but they're just sitting there and you're, like, not including them in the conversation. Like, again, Archimedes is right there. Anyway, so he takes it upon himself to teach uh, Arthur how to fly because, of course, he's a bird, for God's sake. So it makes sense. So he does it. He teaches him how to fly. And then we find out that Arthur's actually kind of a natural. Like, he's doing really, really well and everything. But then a hawk appears, you know. And so now they're flying away because they're trying not to die. Arthur ends up falling through uh, a chimney that happens to belong to the house of Madame Mim. So that's where we get Madame Mim showing up. Uh, And so Mim finds him, sings her little song that talks about herself, uh, turns into a cat to try and eat Arthur. Now, Archimedes sees this, goes to Merlin to, like, save Arthur, who arrives just in time. And then she and Merlin end up having a wizard's duel, which in this case is basically just, like, they set a set, they set certain boundaries, and then one of them has to kill the other. So the rules they set are basically just transform into various animals, real animals, not fake animals, and then just try and kill the other one. Like, it's it's pretty intense really and then uh so yeah so they do this thing mim of course cheats she turns into a dragon which makes you sad because that means that in this version of the arthurian story there are no dragons which just fundamentally makes me sad because i love dragons because dragons are cool uh but then merlin succeeds by instead of he doesn't disappear because that was one of the rules you can't disappear but he turns into a uh, he turns into a virus, and he infects Mim, which I just thought was very funny, which which is also like, oh, he's using, like, biological warfare, which is, I think, frowned upon by the Geneva Convention, I think. <laughs> so it's like, oh, so you're, okay. <laughs> so you're, like, breaking the rules of, of warfare, which is, I just thought was funny. Um, and so now Mim is sick with a completely curable disease. Like, Mim isn't going to die or anything. She's just going to be in bed, like, with a fever for the next like few weeks and so then they call it a six they call it a win and that and then uh merlin walks away or and then they all walk away they all just kind of leave her in bed uh just to recover uh it's very funny uh but again this was i think another version of uh showcasing knowledge over strength to a degree because merlin used his brain to defeat mim by turning into something that he knew could have could have could affect her from the inside out kind of thing now fast forward a little bit it is now christmas eve k is officially knighted which again brings back the question like what the fuck how does that even happen anyway 
Hobbs apparently comes down with the mumps. Hector reinstates Arthur as Case Squire. Arthur is super stoked about it. He runs up to the tower, to Merlin's tower, and showcases his excitement because, again, he's really he's happy about it because this is something that he's been really wanting. It has nothing to do with him wanting to choose, you know, brawn over brain. It's just this is something that he wants to do because he he wants to prove himself. He wants to achieve something in a society in which this basically means that you've achieved something and so arthur's motivations completely make sense in this and so that's why it's really shitty when merlin just kind of loses his shit when he gets really really mad he gets so mad that he just like shoots himself away to he said he literally says blast me blast me to bermuda and it's like shoots off like a rocket presumably to bermuda uh and so arthur is like where's that or where did he go and argument is like probably to bermuda and, he, and Arthur, of course, has no idea what the fuck he's talking about. So he's like, oh, it's just an island that nobody's discovered yet kind of thing. So, again, uh, showcasing that Merlin knows things. Uh, anyway, and so now uh, Archimedes is kind of like Arthur's friend. Uh, fast forward a little bit. They're now in, in London. So now the tournament is a thing. Uh, but then it, then uh, Arthur realizes that he left Kay's sword back at the inn. At the inn. Not a hotel. I think the difference is that an inn has, like, a tavern attached to it. I don't know. Because I guess technically inns still exist. Because, like, hotels have bars, right? Most hotels do. I think. Some do. Pretty sure. But I think that was, like, the main difference. Like, an inn is basically, like, a bar or a tavern that has, like, rooms that you can rent. Anyway, so the sword's back there. And so... Arthur runs off to try and get it, finds out that the inn is actually closed because everybody's at the tournament. But then they find this random sword sticking just like just there in a church courtyard. And Arthur's like, holy shit, there's a sword. And they're like, what the fuck is that doing there? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And so he goes to the thing, uh, goes to the sword grabs a sword and suddenly there's this like heavenly light and like choir of angels and shit that come down and Arthur's like oh it's like and Archimedes is like you gotta leave it like what the hell's going on? like because they're, they, they're panicking they have no idea what the fuck's going on and Arthur's like no 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 but Kay needs he needs a sword and so he yanks a sword out of it success but of course they don't know what's happening we as the viewers know exactly what this means of course we knew this was going to happen anyway but so we know what this so it's very interesting how they kind of play it off as, like, nothing really significant happened. There's, like, Kay's got to have a sword. Yank the sword. Ah, they run back to the tournament. And then he gives Kay the sword, and Kay's like, this isn't my sword. Like, where'd you get this sword? And Arthur's like, and Arthur's going to try and explain. But then Hector's like, whoa, hold on a second, Kay. Like, because he knows of the story. He knows of the, like, I feel like people of, like, uh, like, Hector's generation knows of this story. They know of the story of the Sword of the Stone and the Sword and the sword and the Anvil kind of thing. So he sees the sword, he see, reads the inscription, he's like, no way, this can't be it. And so, like, one of the other knights or whatever, they hear this, and they're like, where did you get this sword, boy? And he's like, I found it in a church courtyard, like, just right over there. And they're like, what? And of course, they don't believe him. And so he's like, but I'm not lying. And so they go back to the thing, they put the sword back in, and so they're like, all right, prove it. So Arthur's like, all right, so he's going to go and pull the thing out, but then, and then Kay comes up, and he's like, hold on a second. Since you've already pulled it, it should be pullable again. So he tries to pull it, but nothing happens. They're just yanking and yanking and yanking. And then, like, a bunch of other people come in and try and pull it out or whatever. But then this other, 
But then the the other knight who's like black hair, black beard, very handsome. I'm not gonna lie. He's like, let the boy try. And so they let Arthur go, and then lo and behold, whoosh, pulls the sword out of the stone, and everybody's standing there like, oh, this is oh wow. Um, <laughs> and so they're all just kind of standing there in complete awe at the fact that this child, this 11-year-old, just yanked this infamous sword and is now officially the king of England. And it's interesting because, like, once that happens, Ector's whole thing changes. He, he like, tries to apologize and everything. He's, like, he's like telling Kate, like, bow to your king. He, he, he immediately shifts and becomes incredibly respectful of Arthur. Arthur completely has no idea what the fuck's going on. He's confused. He's scared. But it is what it is. And so then Arthur get, uh, is crowned king. And he's terrified. The next, then the next scene is basically him sitting in the, in the throne room of England. And he's like, I don't know the first thing about being a king. And Archimedes, and he's like, what if we just left? So he and Archimedes are trying to escape. But of course they can't because there's just people in front of every door. And they're all just saying, screaming, long live the king. And he's like, I don't know what to do. I wish Merlin were here. Like, I don't, I don't know. Suddenly Merlin arrives in like a Hawaiian shirt and sunglasses, which I thought was hilarious. But apparently he traveled to the 20th century. He's like, it's one big modern mess. Kind of echoing the thing he was saying earlier at the beginning of the film, that it was one, that uh, the time period they went, I, th- I want to say like the 14th century. It was like one big medieval mess. It was just very funny, just how no matter what time period you're in, there's always going to be shit going on. And I think it's just funny that Merlin kind of like drives that home. Anyway, so Merlin's kind of, so Merlin gets caught up. He's like, uh, Arthur's like, I pulled the sword out of the thing and now I'm king. And Merlin's like, oh, that's right. Because, of course, he knew about the whole thing. And so he takes it upon himself to just become Arthur's helper. Basically tell him, he's like, yeah, like, you're going to be a great king someday. They're going to like make, they'll make moving, they'll make moving pictures based on you. Uh, or they'll make films about you and everything. And it's kind of a, it's a little ironic that we're watching a movie about Arthur and he's telling him that they'll make movies about himself. Uh, but yeah, and then that was just kind of it. It's very, it's a very fun movie. I genuinely enjoy it. I think it's, I think it's good. And it received some pretty good, uh, some pretty good review from what I recall. Uh, the budget was only $3 million. Again, because they were having to deal with budget cuts and everything. And then, uh, the box office received $22.2 million from United States and Canada. So, like, all in all, I mean, not bad. I mean, uh, during the initial release, uh, earned an estimated $4.75 million in North American theatrical rentals. Uh, I guess that means that the theaters themselves would rent the film. So, Think of it as like in the box office. It garnered $2.5 million in box office rentals during its 1972 re-release, and then $12 million during its 1983 re-release. And the film has had a lifetime domestic gross of $22.2 million. So that's what uh, that number means in North America. Uh, all in all, it received mixed reviews from critics uh, who thought that the humor failed to balance out the thin narrative. And admittedly, there is kind of a thin narrative. It's It's... Because, again, there is no real established antagonist. I feel like the main antagonist is just kind of, I don't know, the people being assholes to Arthur. But, like, 
I don't know, because like when you think antagonist, you think of like an active opposing force. And like the only real opposing force that Arthur really experiences is just, you know, Hector being an asshole, removing the squireship, um, Mim trying to eat him for like 10 minutes. I mean, that's kind of the thing is like there isn't really a strong narrative in the film, but I also don't think it's bad. Uh, Variety wrote uh, that the film, quote, demonstrates anew the magic of the Disney animators and imagination in character creation. But one might wish for a script which stayed more with the basic storyline rather than taking so many twists and turns, which have little bearing on the tale about King Arthur as a lad, close quote. Now, again, I think that definitely has to do with the fact that so much of this movie isn't super, like, there's not a whole lot of uh, easy comparison uh, to the true Arthurian legend. Because, like, there's a few variations. Like, for example, the Sword in the Stone uh, is not necessarily Excalibur, right? It it is simply just the sword that that deemed him worthy of being the King of England. Uh, the actual Excalibur sword, uh, at least from what I recall, is the sword that was given to him by the Lady of the Lake, which is the actual magic sword, right? Uh, but then, of course, it also depends on where you're getting it from, whether you're getting it from England or from France. It's like there's there's so many different variations of the stories of Arthur. And especially just the fact that, like in again, in this film, like um, Arthur was an orphan. Whereas in some variations, he is already the son of Uther, Uther Pendragon. We know that Arthur is Arthur Pendragon, right? So, yeah, it's like, and then of course, like, there's no inclusion of any of the, uh, uh, of the Knights of the Round Table, because of course he's super young, so he hasn't actually established, this is of course meant to be before he is even King Arthur himself. So, yeah, like, there's, I don't know, it's, it's tough, because when you have a story that's as broad as this, as the Arthurian legend, you know, you, it's, it's tough to really pick and choose what to use. Right. And some variations, Merlin was young and some he's super old. Like it really, it really does just kind of depend. Um, the first tale to mention quote unquote, the sword and the stone motif uh, is Robert de Boron's Merlin. Uh, Think circa 1200 uh arthur obtained the british throne by pulling a sword from an anvil sitting on top of stone that appeared in a churchyard on christmas eve so that's very much what they uh, what they pulled from and this account is foretold by merlin uh the act could not be performed except by the true king meaning the divinely appointed king or true heir of uther pendragon so again pulling in the aspect that when you are an english royal you are handpicked by god to lead the country kind of thing uh the scene is set by different uh, different authors at either london uh, or generally in Logress. Uh, uh, Logress uh, is King Arthur's realm in the matter of Britain. Uh, I don't really know what that means. That's just kind of here in the description. Um, so yeah, so again, like there's French versions of this tale, which is thing which I think is interesting. Um, it seems that uh, they pulled they pulled it directly from Le, Mo- Le Mort d'Arthur. Sorry, my French is awful. Uh, and uh, whoso pulleth out the sword of the stone and anvil is right way is rightwise born a king born of all England. So they took that directly from the stories as well. So there is some good like uh, aspects in here, uh, but it looks like they took a lot of inspiration from uh, from either the 15th century 
uh, Le Mort d'Arthur, which is uh, the death of Arthur, uh, I think it was a, a French story, I believe, like a French version of the tale. Because again, it's crazy just like how there are so many, so many very, like I never would have thought that there would have been a French version of this story, which I think is interesting. Um, uh, teenage Arthur, uh, who up to this point was believed to be son of Sir Ector, not Uther's son, uh, does the feat effortlessly. So it looks like that's where they really got a lot of it from, uh, which is from uh, the story from Robert de Boron's Merlin combined with uh, the 15th century uh, Le Mort d'Arthur, uh, which is uh, 15th century Middle English prose reworking by Sir Thomas uh, by Sir Thomas Mallory of tales about the legendary King Arthur, Guinevere, Lancelot, Merlin, and the Knights of the Round Table. So yeah, so it, it looks like there there's real uh, not cause, but like the, the, the there's there's connection here. Does that make sense? Like there's like they didn't just make this shit up. There's actual uh, basis of for th this version or the sword and the stone version. So yeah, but again, like it doesn't necessarily mean that the sword that he pulled was Excalibur itself, because of course Excalibur, uh, from what I recall and what seems to be the general consensus, uh, is the sword that was given to that was gifted him um, by the Lady of the Lake. So there's that. Uh, yeah. So all in all, I really like this movie. I think it's fun. I think it's cute. Um, I think it's a great, like, introduction to the Arthurian legend, and, because the Arthurian, uh, the Arthurian legend is, is so vast, and there's so much of it, there's so many variations and everything, like, I think this is a good place to start, especially if you know somebody who's really into, like, these kinds of things, or, who knows, maybe, maybe your kid will like it, I don't know, all in all, it's fun, it's silly, uh, Merlin is, again, a super iconic character, uh, he's just kind of stayed within, uh, I guess within the Disney lexicon for, for ever since, you know, like he's kind of an iconic, his look is iconic for that's for sure. I give this film maybe seven or eight out of 10. Highly recommend it. Yeah. It's a, it's a Disney classic and it's a very easy watch. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's definitely a fun little like popcorn movie. If you just want to sit down and just watch something silly and like, let's just watch this one. Why the hell not? A little bit of, little bit of uh of old english uh history like not history <laughs> because of course arthur never existed but yeah anyway i recommend it it's great it's fun uh next week oh what is next week so next week uh we're not doing anything in regards to like no sequels or anything because there weren't any sequels uh that were done after the sword in the stone uh, but next week, if I'm right, is the finale of the Silver Age is the Jungle Book. So I'm excited about this. I love the Jungle Book. It's very fun. Uh, and then this one has, I believe, uh, this one's got a live action version. This one has a sequel. Uh, so this is going to be another big chunk. And then from there, then we're out of the Silver Age in terms of the major animated films of the Silver Age. And I'm pretty excited about that. Then we move on to the next one, uh, the next little section. So yeah, so I hope you've uh, enjoyed uh, exploring Sword in the Stone with me. Uh, again, if you're going to watch it, and I think you should, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, and yeah, we'll talk to y'all next time. Bye! <laughs>